moment. Like we are giving back to the Lord because of what He has done for us. So it's a moment of worship. Uh, it is a moment of obedience because if we have received even a penny from the Lord, if we've received anything, then that first fruit is to give back to Him because He is Lord and Master of us. So it's a place of obedience. Um, but then also that these real monies you know, that we are about to give are going to be attached to real ministry. And for that, we are so grateful for that. So these men are going to be passing baskets. So we would encourage you to give back to the Lord as He has given to you. kiddos, I need your listening ears real quick. Before you leave, um, we need you to grab the coat that you um, took to church with you. Okay, so if you have some kind of cover up, some kind of jacket or sweater, uh, mom and dad, make sure that you send them with that. And that's all I can tell you. Okay, so if you are four years old all the way to fourth or fifth grade, and your parents say it's okay, we have over here, we have Papa James and Miss Debbie. Everybody say hello, Papa James and uh, Gigi. So these guys are going to be your teachers today, and um, so this is what we call Camp Redstone, and we truly, we make a racket when all of our kids leave, and the demographic of the room really change. Um, so it is really fun to watch them exit and to see that the gospel is being presented uh, at, uh, on their level. And uh, so, yeah, this is a fun moment every Sunday as we, as we walk into the Word. We understand that we are kind of commissioning them out as, as they go. So, bye, kiddos. Y'all have a great day with your teachers. We are in the Christmas story. And the title of our series is The Good News of Great Joy. If you haven't heard that phrase yet, just know that for the next four weeks, this is what we will be hammering, is these simple words that uh, we have received good news of great joy. And so there's a crescendo, good news of great joy, and we want to continue to hammer that message over and over. And we will be preaching all this year in Luke uh, chapter 2. This is the most famous of all of, uh, of, the, of the two uh, Christmas accounts. So Luke chapter 2. You have it printed in your bulletin or you can turn it in your Bibles. But let's go ahead and start off by just reading the entire passage. And what I'll do just for context sake, I will start in verse 8 and I'll finish up in verse 20. Luke chapter 2. This is the Word of God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They weren't giving credit to the angels even in that moment. They were giving credit to the Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God. Let me pray over God's word. And Jesus, as we spend a little time digging into this passage this very famous passage of Scripture that even if people in here are far from the Lord or haven't been in church forever, they can hear these words and have some kind of remembrance that this is about what had happened that beautiful night when the angels of the Lord appeared to mere shepherds and shepherds went and saw with their own eyes what was proclaimed to them. Jesus, as we open up this word, I pray now that your Holy Spirit will come into all of our hearts, that you will awaken our hearts, that you will open our eyes and you will open our ears so that we will receive this message with boldness. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Right now, as we speak, there are three grown men, brawny, big, farmers type men wearing bathrobes, acting like shepherds. One of these men, shall be remain nameless, but actually brought livestock to church with him. And the reason your kids have coats is because they're sheep. Live sheep here on property. Is that you? (laughs) It's the Runyons. So right now, there are men, I mean, that's quite the commitment. They are in bathrobes, acting like shepherds, and have actually brought sheep. It brings great joy to all of our hearts, knowing that shepherds are actually a part of our Christmas story. We don't know why they're there, right? But we love the fact that these images and these people are actually in the story. And so today, we're going to actually pause, and we're going to actually think about the shepherds, and we're going to ask ourselves, why are they there? Why are shepherds out in the middle of a field keeping watch over their flocks by night? Why are they a part of our Christmas story? Because we believe that God doesn't do anything by accident. He does everything on purpose. And so what God has done is he strategically placed these men out in the middle of a field as shepherds to bring some kind of revelation to our hearts. 
The shepherds are the key figure of the Christmas, this Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Now, I know that sounds a little strange because Jesus is always the center, central figure in all of the text. But if you just look numerically at how many times each of these characters are mentioned, we see that Mary is mentioned twice. Joseph is mentioned once. Jesus is mentioned three times. The angel is mentioned six times. But the shepherds, they're mentioned nine times in this passage. God has strategically put shepherds in a part of our Christmas story because he wants to tell us something. They, the why, uh, we understood that last week that the shepherds received a message from angels. Today, we are going to hear what they did with this message because they did something with the message. They didn't just use their ears to receive it. They actually did something with this message. They had a response this, to this angel's proclamation. They did something. And what did they do? The simple phrase is this. They shared it. What did they do with the message? They shared it because... Uh, we know that um, news is not news unless it is shared. These shepherds didn't sit on God's revelation. They didn't just hear it and have warm fuzzies in their hearts or their minds. They didn't just imagine what happened. What did they do with this message? They shared it. Why? Because news, right? Any kind of news is not news. It stops it's not news unless it's shared, unless it actually has to go someplace. This good news of great joy has to be shared. That's the one point. So you can fall asleep right now because that's the only thing that we will talk about is that this proclamation to the shepherds didn't stop at the shepherds, but it continued to multiply beyond them because they received the good news of great joy and they shared it. All right, speaking of good news of great joy, we have a challenge out to our church body that we are memorizing a passage of Scripture. We're actually going to memorize Luke chapter 2, 9 through 11. All right, not by a show of hands, but did anybody practice Luke 9 through 11 this week, you don't have to show your hands because we don't, we're not a shame-based culture here. However, all right, the, all, all Advent, we are going to practice this here on this stage because we really want these words to be in your heart. Now today, you're going to get the whole passage. Next week, we're probably going to be taking away key passages. I have put in bold this middle section. This is what our children are memorizing. Um, they're just going to do uh, verse 10, but we believe that as adults, you and I can, we can memorize three verses. Can't we? Can't we? Can't we? Yes, we can. Here we go. Let's read it out loud if you want to close your eyes because you are the A student, right? You are the alpha male and, the, and you've already, you've got it backwards, right? You've, you've, you've got um, your note card already. Here we go. We're going to read it out loud. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angels for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior 
All right, so that's Luke 2, 9 through 11. Can you do it? If Linus can do it, we can do it, right? He's a cartoon. He's not even real, okay? Here we, can, we can do it. We can do it. All right, so who are these shepherds? We talked a little bit about them last week, but who are these, these shepherds? Uh, they, we know that they're hardworking men. They look a little bit like farmers. They wear uh, dicky overalls, right? The, all of this type of thing. I mean, these are hardworking men, but what is a little bit perplexing or at least a little bit just confusing to us is that Jesus used these hardworking men to reveal the glory of all glories to them. Now, we understand the angel of the Lord coming to Joseph because he's going to be the father of Jesus. We understand the angel coming to Mary, I mean, because she is actually with child. But the angels coming to these guys are a little bit perplexing because they can't even go to church. They're not even allowed inside church structures. And so their Sabbath was on Saturday. You know, they usually worked. And even if they weren't working, they weren't even allowed to go because of the types of people that they were. They were a little bit on the outside. They were the outskirts of town and those kinds of things. They were probably a little shady people. They're actually old antiquity documents that talk about shepherds and how they were just, they were probably the underbelly of society because they were filled with drunkenness and stealing and, and all of these this unsavory stuff. And yet the Lord, in all of his sovereignty, allowed them to hear the message first. They were outcasts. Notice here in verse 8, we see this thing. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. If you draw in the bulletin or even in your, your scriptures, I'd love for you to circle the word out and dark in this passage because in this, this is a physical reality that they were out in the fields and it was night. However, it's more than just a, like a spatial reality. This is a social reality. And what the author is doing here is saying, yes, they are those things. They're out there and it is dark. However, what he's, the narrative is that this is where they belong. They're not the in crowd. They're on the outside, right? They're not included. Instead, they're outcast. They're not the light of Israel. Instead, that they are in the dark places, And so, yes, they are physically out, and it is physically dark, and yet the Scripture wants us to know that this is where they are. Yet, and the perfect, that yet they are the perfect audience for the good news of great joy. God saw it that they were the perfect audience for the first message of good news of great joy. God's preference is people that we would normally look down on. And in this message of Christmas, the people that you feel proud over or the people that you look down upon, just know that the Christmas message, the God and the creator of all things actually lifts up. There's a chance that these shepherds were drinking on the job. There's a good chance that these shepherds had done some pretty unsavory things the night before. There's a good chance that these people, that they were, they probably have a filthy mouth and they were talking about the things that they were planning for the weekend. There's a good chance that this is who God is actually talking to because God doesn't care, 
right? About where you are because he's going to transfer you into who you will be. And that transformation, God gets the credit for. And so as God's men and women of faith, if we are looking down on anyone, let's be careful because this, these might be God's special agents to hear the special good news of great joy first. Let's be careful not to look down on them. So we're going to talk a little bit about a strategy, a tra- strategy on how you and I get to share this good news of great joy. We'll see here in verse 8 that our eyes can easily be deceived. Because we know that our eyes see a shepherd and we immediately have all of these stereotypes. And yet what we see and what God sees are very, very different. How God sees the shepherds and how we would characterize the shepherds are totally different. Our eyes can deceive us and we cannot be too quick to judge. And so the profound message of Christmas is that not of all of our ideas or not all of our intuitions and not of all of our natural logic are actually true. In fact, we may be wrong about the way that we perceive the world or the way that we perceive others or our natural logic and how we connect the dots. The story of Christmas is that we actually, what we see may not be exactly what, how God would see it. Take, for instance, a simple acorn. We look at the acorn and we see an acorn. But our eyes would deceive us if we leave the acorn in its shell or as a nut. Because its potential is actually an oak tree, right? And so our eyes would deceive us by calling that only an acorn without understand what its potential is. And in the same way, if we look at a hundred year oak and we sit underneath its shade or our kids or our grandkids swing under its boughs or in its, its branches, we would be wrong to only see the, the, only see the oak tree for what it is because it was once an acorn. And so our eyes can easily deceive us in that the shepherds are going to be monumentally Like, just they are going to set the world on fire, and God saw it fit to include them in our, in their story. Something new has arrived. Good news of great joy. Something new has arrived, and guess whose lap it fell on? It fell on mere shepherds. And so let us not be too quick to judge. Number two is so our eyes uh, can easily deceive us. Number two is beyond celebrity status. This is in 10 and 11. It says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Verse 10 says this, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Again, if you're marking in your Bibles, or if you're marking in the worship guide, I want you to sing, uh, circle these, these uh, pronouns here. I bring you good news of great joy. And who is the implied you there? The shepherds. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be found for all people. Now he's including them, so it goes from you, singular, to all people. And so there's a little bit of a cone there, but it starts with with these shepherds here. For unto what? Another pronoun. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12. It goes on, and this will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. Do you see it? These personal pronouns. The angel is talking for all humanity, right? He's talking, uh, these angels are declaring the good news of great joy for all of us. And 2,000 years later, we're still preaching this. And yet the very first ears and the hearts and the eyes that received this is these personal use. The shepherds received it first. And so we need to beware. We need to understand their eyes will deceive us. But then we need to move on beyond some kind of celebrity status. Some reason that you feel like you cannot share this good news is because you think the professionals, you think the ones who are on stages or the ones that have millions of followers or the things that have podcasts or those famous people or the evangelists that they can fill stadiums, all of that, that those are the people that declare the good news of great joy. And so, but instead, what we see in this passage is something totally different, even opposite of the celebrity status of today. Beware, little feet, where you go. Beware, little eyes, what you see, because what you see as celebrity may not be the real thing. Instead, it is God and his sovereign will that has actually put these shepherds into the story. Unto you, a shepherd has been born for you, and he's talking to shepherds. Unto you, Notice he didn't mention to unto Mary and Joseph. These shepherds were far removed from the actual mother and father of Jesus born unto you. Think about that. It's, it's an adoptive word. It's an adoptive phrase like born unto you shepherds who have no actuality that there's even a woman or a man named Mary or Joseph in some stable somewhere born unto you this day a savior. And so this adoptive language is this idea that you have been given the greatest gift And if you think that only the big wigs get to share or that only the big wigs are able to receive God's special revelation, you are wrong. God's special revelation starts with people that look dismissed. God's special revelation starts with people who look like they're on the outside. And so when we proclaim and when we receive, know that there can be no hubris or pride in our hearts because we are all shepherds. We may dress a little differently. We may have a different location or vocation. And yet all of us are strategically shepherds on the outside of God, on the outside of God's holiness, in the dark. And yet God has revealed to us because we're all shepherds in his economy. And yet he's included us. There are no celebrities. There's no hierarchy. It's God and sinners that he has made saints. God is transforming humanity through this baby Jesus, but he's transforming humanity by going to the shepherds first. It should enthrall our hearts because that's who we once were. We were the shepherds. And so if there are any heirs about you, you must stop. For the sake of Christ Jesus and Christians and the Christian church, it is time for us to put down our pride and simply lift up the baby who was born and placed in a manger on our behalf. There's a finger of God and he's pointing, right? And he's saying, this, 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 this is where you should look. And it's not to you 
And it's not to me. It's to the king, the baby Jesus. And so who are we? If there was a celebrity in this passage, if there was someone who was glowing, right, and created great fear, it was who? It was the angels. And yet the angels, in all of their celebrity status, with all their glamour and all of their, you know, like they had the commercial spot, they were the most creative, they were able to wow a crowd, you know, the shippers kind of like, they, you know, like they're scared to death, those types of things. They have the celebrity status. And yet what was on their agenda? To point to themselves? To be the celebrity or to point somewhere else. The celebrities in this passage actually put it down to point to one that was in a manger. There was a, um, a time in Billy Graham's life. If we have a celebrity status as far as evangelism goes or proclamation goes. Um, in the last 50 years, it would be um, Billy Graham. He was able to fill all kinds of stadiums and, and lead so many people to Christ. And a reporter was asking him once, so what do you say to people who want to thank you for leading them to the Lord? Billy Graham's um, response was, they shouldn't thank me, they should thank a shoe salesman which is an odd phrase. They shouldn't thank me because they should, instead they should thank a shoe salesman. Because history tells us that Edward Kimball gathered the nerve to go and share the good news of Christ Jesus with a young shoe salesman named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist in his own time and established Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. D.L. Moody went on to have a great, um, a great impact uh, in England and actually found part of his ministry to a guy named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer comes to know Jesus, and with his great fervor, he, he influenced J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman's ministry was converted and he found himself on inside the rings of baseball players where there was a, a baseball player named Billy Sunday that came to know Jesus. Billy Sunday was not just a good baseball player, he became a pretty great sharer of good news. And Billy Sunday shares um, the faith with a man named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was holding a revival in, in South or in North Carolina in which Billy Graham came to know Jesus. And so the man who started all was just a regular old man who had the boldness to share a faith with a shoe salesman named D.L. Moody. And so, yes, it is something, but it's not everything. What the most, some of the most faithful people in here are the quiet ones who are faithfully sharing their faith with whomever they will have, have um, contact with. So who does God speak to? Everyday people. Who does God speak to? Everyday people. And who does God want to speak about him? Everyday people. And that's where we go to number three. We actually need to see him for ourselves. Let's look at verse 15. 
13 and follow. Let's just pick it up in 13. And suddenly there was an angel there uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and earth peace among those whom it is, he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There is something strong in this passage in which we have to see King Jesus for ourselves. We cannot be born into Christianity. We actually have to have Jesus revealed to us ourselves. It's very personal. It's very relational. And our eyeballs actually have to see him for who he is. And right here, there is what we call a juxtaposition. That's a strong word, a big word, right? Over three syllables, right? So, but uh, juxtaposition means that there are two things that are supposed to be contrary to one another that have found themselves aligned. So this is a, it's a word of contrast, like light and dark actually finding themselves together. And so that's why the outsiders become insiders. The things that are dark actually become illuminated. That is what we would call a juxtaposition. Juxtaposition. And yet we see here there's a juxtaposition with our theology about Jesus. I want us to go back up to what the, um, what the angel said in verse 10 and, and following. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now here's the juxtaposition. It's in our theology about Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ the Lord. So the juxtaposition of theology in verse 11 says this, there will be a boy born and there will be, he will be of the city of David and he will be a savior and he will be the Christ and he will be the Lord. This is redemptive history 101. Everybody knows these words. We are all very comfortable with these words. If we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to understand lordship, the messiahship. We have to understand David. We we have to understand Savior. We have to understand his incarnation. This is just redemptive history 101 and it's glorious and it's wonderful. And these are just terms that are too high for us to even understand. But the juxtaposition, the alignment that doesn't make sense actually happens next in verse 12. With all this high flying vocabulary and all of this vocabulary that's been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and this will be a sign for you. You don't need, you need more than just words. You need to see it for yourself. And all this Christness and Lordness and Savior and the city of Davis, you will, there will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is theology, theology, just as much as all of those other terms. But this is a theology of reality. That this Christ, this Lord in the city of David, this incarnation will actually be some of the meekest imagery you have ever seen. Because you're going to see a baby, not a king. You're going to see a manger rather than a throne. You're going to see swaddling claws rather than a purple robe. This baby was not born in majesty, but instead into poverty. And that's the juxtaposition. And it's just as much theology as all of those other words. The juxtaposition of this, these, this one verse in chapter 12 
has changed the course of literature for the last 2,000 years. What I have here is what we call the tragedy, uh, tragedy and comedy curves. If you have a tragedy, you know that there's going to be a character in the story that will continue to, to just uh, rise into prominence. And this person will actually find himself prideful in what he is able to do. And at the end of every tragedy is the word that we've come to realize is that it is tragic. Because all of the pride, the people who are prideful actually end up falling. And in the same way, a comedy is that there is a character that actually dips and dips and dips and falls and falls and falls into their absolute ruin and destruction and they just continue to fall. And then just out of the ashes, what happens? They rise. And like the phoenix, they're able to rise. And the hero, the underdog, all of these things that get all of our hearts racing is actually this curve because it's the meek and the humble that actually are exalted. And that, I mean, just think about Karate Kid, right? Who doesn't want that kid? What was the kid's name? The blonde dude? Y'all were not born in the 80s or didn't watch movies in the 80s. This one, right? The one where he like, like shaking. But that's Danielson. But who's the guy he's about to kick in the face? Whatever his name is, who doesn't want him to be blasted in the teeth and all of his teeth fall out and his ears like bleed? Who doesn't want that guy to die? right? Because the pride, the prideful needs to get what's coming to them. And who doesn't want the guy who's shaking on his ankles, right? Can't even stand up straight to actually accelerate. This is not just the reality of Western, uh, the Western literature, right? This is ingrained in all of us because of the biblical narrative. This is how God has designed all of reality is through the meek, it's through the meek, and it's the meek and the humble that will be exalted. The wonder and the awe and the sharing and the proclamation and the evangelism and the praising of these shepherds happened when? Was it after their face-to-face encounter with angels? No. All the sharing and all the proclamation and evangelism and praising happened when they saw a baby with their own eyes in a manger. This is what will change your life. When your eyes actually see that God himself would lower himself from the heavenlies and come down to earth to lift up shepherds like us. The people who belong on the outside and in the dark actually are lifted up because of anything that we did? No, because of something that he has done for us. It came after an encounter with the baby. Their response was first out of curiosity. I wonder what's going on. Let us go over and see this thing for ourselves. It was simply wonder. And yet at the end of our passage this morning, after they saw King Jesus for himself, when they actually saw the child, 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. If you're going to hear one thing this morning, as the Christian people, people who actually follow Jesus or people who are not following Jesus, it's true to both camps. Our, my obligation for, to you this morning is to put your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone because it's there when you actually see the person of Jesus that your heart will melt and you will turn from curiosity and wonder and questions to tr- true praise and worship and proclamation for him. If I was to encourage you in one direction this Christmas, it would not be to share the message of Jesus first, but first and foremost to see Jesus for who he is, to see how he began and to know that he is actually pulling you out of that. The only emotion of our, of the, the angelic, face-to-face, celebrity, enterprise, the only emotion was fear. Because that's not what turned their hearts. The emotion after an encounter with the baby Jesus was worship. You can go to Dollywood for curiosity and wonder. You can go to any lecture at Harvard to get your ears and your eyes full of things that you didn't, hadn't ever heard. But what God knows is what good for us is for our hearts to actually worship, for our hearts to cling to the things that we've seen with our own eyes, and it's that God, Emmanuel, God with us. We want us to see that God speaks to his people through humility more than anything else. Humility and glory are now inextricably tied together for all eternity. What looked like it should have been in separate camps, now glory and humility are tied together. And so see Jesus this morning. Look at him for all that he is. Learn from him. Hear his words. Hear his teachings. Just stare at a piece of art of a baby laying in a manger. Go pull up one of those old dark ages uh, piece of art and just, just get enthroned by, thrown by what he's able to depict on that piece, uh, on that painting. Just find your hearts moved by what, what Jesus has done for us. The last thing is, Very simple when it comes to proclamation. The simple thing is that we simply have to repeat back exactly what we've heard. It doesn't even have to be our own words. Look in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They're simply on repeat. There's no original language. There's no like, I mean, there's no creativity whatsoever. They're simply making known what was said. And so as you speak, you simply put it on repeat. You don't have to come up with your own words. And later on, verse 20 says, uh, where they were praising God for what they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They're simply putting on repeat what they had heard. Listening is an important emotion or or strategy in the New Testament. 
This discipline is what Paul would say is that how do you come by faith? People who come by faith through hearing, right? And so we need to turn on our ears and listen so that we can simply repeat the things that we are said. There's a crowd of people in the, in the stable, right? They've been kicked out of an inn and they're in the stable. And all of the people that were listening, they were riveted by this message. Now, they were not riveted by the messenger. What caught their attention and what caught their hearts and their mind and what created wonder was not the messenger, but the message itself. The messenger was pretty unimpressive. The messenger was likely a stinky person who kind of just walks in. He was probably an outcast. And so the messenger was the least important. It was the message and what really causes all the weight. And so the message, and so the reason that it is less about us, this is more about our obedience and more about the message itself that we need to put on repeat, is the message is much more impactful despite the messenger being unimpressive. Let me say that one more time. The message is much more important. We simply repeat the message despite the messenger being pretty unimpressive. So the shepherds, they had a face-to-face encounter with the angels. Who wouldn't be moved by that, right? And we are not guaranteed the fact that we are going to come face-to-face with an angel. Like, that's just, that is, that's just, that's just fact, right? However, what was put on repeat? What was put on repeat that God in all of his sovereignty sent angels to the shepherds first. That's true. And yet we don't hear of angels coming and evangelizing many more times. Instead, the messenger, the shepherds, Mary herself, other people carry the message. It's not about the supernatural people and sharing the message. It's about the supernatural impact of the message itself. The message of the good news of great joy was passed on generation after generation after generations of people putting on repeat what they had heard over and over and over by pretty regular people saying pretty regular things about the supernatural character of God himself. We want you to see Jesus this morning. Because the gospel is still good news. And we want you to be challenged this morning that this good news is news. And by that very definition, news isn't news unless it's shared. If it's kept with you, it's something, but it's not news. And what God's people have been commissioned to do is to share good news with others. And so the application this morning is for two people groups in here. This is kind of the the dual reality of the shepherds. First and foremost, they were seekers. They were searchers. Let us go and see. And so maybe you are far from Jesus. Maybe your relationship with Jesus is a lot farther off than you think possible. And you really haven't picked up this message or picked up Christianity. You just have lots of questions. We would encourage you to take the role of the shepherd in this role of seeker. 
let us go. Let us go with haste. Let's hurry up and put our own eyeballs. We would encourage you this Christmas season to open up the Gospels and to see for yourself the person and work of Jesus. For you to find somebody in this room and say, hey, can you walk me through the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John and help me point my eyes to Jesus because I am riveted not by the messenger, but I am, I am riveted this morning by this idea of the Christ child coming for me. And so maybe you're far from Jesus and you just simply need to let us go. You need to get up and and go. The second is for those people who have a relationship with Jesus, that you need to become the role of the proclaimer. Because what we see is that the angels proclaim to the shepherds And the shepherds actually became proclaimers of the good news of great joy wherever they went. This Christmas season, we're we're pushing us. We're prodding us. We're encouraging us all to pray about what it means to be a proclaimer of Jesus. You see him. And when you see him, you naturally talk about him. What would it look like? to have about the hundred of us in here to actually take up this as a mantra that we would become proclaimers of the good news of great joy this Christmas season. Let me pray for us. And so Christ Jesus, we pray for our own hearts now that Lord, that in both moves, in both moves, we need to take great comfort that uh, it requires movement and boldness For those who are seeking after Jesus this Christmas, Lord, may they get up and go with haste. May they find their hearts so riveted by your message that they will actually go and seek after you. And if it's in your grace, Lord, if there's someone in here that's far from Jesus this morning, have them as a seeker come and ask the hard questions this morning. And for us in God's body, Help us to realize it's going to take a lot of boldness and, and a courage uh, for, for people who are far from the Lord to get up and to seek after Him. But it's going to take just as much boldness for those of us who are quiet and timid and not willing to proclaim the good news of great joy for us to, be, to have the supernatural strength of Jesus to do that this Christmas season. Help us, Lord, to become proclaimers. Help us to glorify and honor you with our lips. How can people come to faith unless they have heard? How can they hear unless there's a preacher? And as we heard in the, in the story of Billy Graham, it's not just preachers who are strapped with microphones. It's preachers every single day, men and women, middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students who are willing to step into hard conversations about why Christmas is so very special to us. Give us that strength this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. One way that we can put our eyes on Jesus is not just to look at baby Jesus laying in the manger, but that, that dip, this idea of going down into meekness and humility is actually in a further picture when Jesus gave of himself What was once pure and whole and shalom is actually ripped in half and ripped into pieces. Jesus says, I've given my life for you. And if ripping of bread wasn't graphic enough, he then takes a chalice of wine and he says, this is my blood 
of a new covenant given for you. Jesus Christ wants our eyes to be on the manger this Christmas, but also to look at how he truly humbled himself. He, in humility, he went to the cross for us. He's come to rescue us. He knows that we can't do it on our own. So as we gather around this table, we know that it's not us. It's Jesus himself. So go ahead and stand. If you're new to Redstone, just know that we have men in these corners. If you follow after Jesus this morning, we would encourage you in faith to come and to take of these elements. If you're far from Jesus, if you find yourself as a seeker this morning and you want your life to turn, we would encourage you to take a step out of your faith. And we've got uh, men and women in the prayer corner that would love to talk to you about starting a relationship with Jesus this morning. So these men are in the corners. You are now free to go and take these elements.